table of the Lord. In Luke's Gospel, the 22nd chapter, the 19th verse, gives the record of Jesus sharing the time of Passover with his disciples and instituting communion. And we'll just use two words as a theme out of that 19th verse. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, verse 19. And Jesus took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the Holy Spirit simply directed my attention, and I want your attention this evening to those two words this do the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a positive message and he begins instituting this that we know as the sacraments by something positive divine complete direction and I wonder how many may be in the service tonight who are praying like David was praying in Psalm 25. And if you want to leaf back there, it's a good psalm. We read 23 and 24, but there's something important about Psalm 25 in every Christian's life. Of utmost importance, I believe, of critical importance to us. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O oh my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed that transgress without cause. And then he begins to pray, Show me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy path. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, and on thee do I wait all the day. Verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he will. Will he teach sinners his way. And the meek will he guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his ways. And the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimony. Hallelujah. So there is a prayer of David asking God that he would show him, that he would reveal to him his way and let him know what his will is for him. And then he begins to, to state some facts that God will teach us. Let me direct your attention back again to verse 9. Verse 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore... Will he teach sinners his way? And the meek, now that is a qualification there, isn't it? Not everybody qualifies for divine guidance and instruction. But if you and I can fit into that definition and that qualification, he says, the meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. So David had evidently learned something in his praying, God had worked out something in his heart. 
God had begun to, to show him that if he wanted divine guidance and wanted to know the ways of God and be taught the will of God, that he would have to have a heart that was right. It could not be in a proud spirit. It could not be in a haughty spirit. Because even God can't stand a bragger or a boaster. Now, if you're having trouble with people getting along with you, you can't boast about your, your abilities, you can't boast about what you're doing or how well you can do it, and have people like you. Because even God resisteth the proud. God pushes away the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You see, one of the characteristics of the end time, along with lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, was boastfulness. And so we can't allow that natural spirit to be a factor. They that humble themselves in the sight of God. If my people which are called by my name will what? Humble themselves. That's the only way we can come to God and receive the grace of God. Humble ourselves before his throne. And not just in a physical way of kneeling, but that ought to be a position that indicates how our spirit is before the Lord. If our spirits are meek, I didn't say weak now, but submissive to God, to his, to his word, to his ways, obedient to his precepts, he will teach us his ways. He will reveal to us his will. That's what David said. He had prayed about this. He had said, show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy path, lead me in thy truth, and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. And then he goes on directly to tell us that the Lord will teach, and the meek he will guide in judgment, and the meek he will teach his ways, and uh, for his own name's sake. It's good for us to hear directly from the Lord him say to us, this do. How many have ever in your lifetime heard God say to you, I want you to do this? Let me see your hand. It's important, I believe, that we be divinely guided of the Lord and have an ear that is sensitive to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us. And in this theme that Jesus was instituting in the Lord's communion table, he was giving some specific direction, and he was saying, now, I want you to do this. Now, I know he was talking to all disciples throughout history and throughout the future. Yet I'm born if he tarries. He'll want them to do this. But I want you to see that theme specifically tonight in the fact that God is equipped to give each one of us individually that counsel. If we'll pray like David prayed, and if we have the spirit like David instructs us to have, God is able to teach us his way. He's able to show us his will. I think it's imperative, especially for young people, to wait on the Lord. And this God complains about in the Psalms when he's talking about uh, Israel and the history of Israel in that one particular psalm. The need is there. And God complains in Psalm 106, 13. He says, they soon forgot his works and they waited not 
for his counsel. They waited not for his counsel. You know, I don't think there would be as many divorces if young people waited for his counsel. If they waited to know what the mind of God and the will of God is, I was listening to a television special the other day, and they were doing a survey, and they stated that 48% of the women they interviewed said if they had it to do over, they wouldn't marry the same guy. Now, I don't believe that's necessarily true, statistically, in the congregation we have tonight. But of those who are looking and praying, I believe we need to wait for the counsel of the Lord. We're talking about something intensely practical here when we're saying we need to hear God say, this do. When God gets specific enough in our lives and in our hearts that we can receive some divine instruction from the Lord and know that this is indeed the will of God for my life. And the, the, the kind of life that we want, filled with God's presence and filled with God's approval can only be enjoyed when we know that we're in God's will. In his will, doing his, his bidding, his work. And I think it's very specific in each case for each one of us. God isn't, uh, doesn't have favorites in that respect and have a specific will for some and not for others. But God wants each of us to fill that certain place in his kingdom. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, I want you to go back there with me because there are some verses that indicate some symptoms. Now these are not proofs. I don't want you to take them as proofs because there are other circumstances that are involved, extenuating circumstances that would take a whole bit of explanation. So I don't want you to take these as proofs as being out of the will of God. But these can be symptoms when we are missing or have missed something that God is talking to us about. And I don't know your situation, I don't know how you've been praying, I don't know what your needs are. But the Holy Spirit does, and I think that he has directed our attention this way tonight so that you might wait for the counsel of the Lord. Don't forget his works and wait on God, wait for his counsel. In this setting, just to get the context in our mind, the previous chapter talks about two words. One is curse, the other blessing. Obedience brings the blessing, disobedience brings the curse. And he said, I've set before you a curse and a blessing, so choose the blessing. And he said, if disobedience happens and we are not fully obeying God's word or God's will in a certain area or a given circumstance, that there are are obviously some circumstances going to change. Some things are going to happen. If you begin to read with me from verse 65, and just note with me several things that will be the consequence 
of disobedience or being out of God's specific will for our life. And among these nations thou shalt find no ease. I'll just read them all through and then we'll go back and pick up some of the threads. Neither shalt the sole of thy feet have rest, but the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and failing of eyes and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and have no assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even. And at evening thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and of the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee to Egypt again with ships, by the way thereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again. And there shall, there shall ye be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen. All right, let's go back. Just take it piece by piece now. What is he saying? In the fact of national or individual disobedience, among these nations thou shalt find no ease. What is that? When there is the absence of peace in our heart, in our mind, an absence of the peace of God, that is to be the umpire. Isn't that what the New Testament word says? Let the peace of God be the ruler. Let that be, that be the king in your life to dictate. When that peace is no longer there, then it's time to take a look at where we are in the Lord in reference to his will, in reference to the specific finger of the master that is said to us, this do. Amen? He's saying there will be no ease, there will be no peace. Neither shall the soul of thy foot have rest. There will be a restlessness. When there is a lack of peace in our soul, a peace in our spirit, and there's no rest. There is a restlessness as well. Then he states from the next verse, But the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart, failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. What is this? Fear. A fearfulness. Now, I recognize with you that there are some fears that are sponsored by the enemy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, or has he? Or has he? Let me read it again. Now, I recognize with you that there are some fears that are sponsored by the enemy. God has not given us the spirit of fear, or has he? Or has he? Let me read it again. But the Lord shall give thee a trembling heart. Now where does it come from? Shook up your theology, didn't I? You see, there are some kinds of fears that it takes more than being prayed for to get rid of. If you're out of the will of God, it takes more than someone laying hands on you and praying that the devil will leave you alone to be 
delivered from that fear because if we're out of the will of God, we need to be afraid. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and some fear that comes is as a result of our being out of God's specific will for our life. And I don't care who prays for you, and I don't want to, you know, unbalance things here. I believe in, in praying, and I, I thank the Lord for what happened here a couple Sunday nights ago in divine deliverance from satanic oppressive fear that he loves to shackle us with and burden us with, but the perfect love and power of God casts out that fear. But you see, there's that element that's tremendously necessary to the whole truth. You see, the other half of the truth is when our love relationship is right with God, we don't have any reason to fear. It will dissolve that fear. And it doesn't matter how much prayer is done, how much you pray yourself, how much you have other people pray with you, how much you have other people pray for you, it'll not happen until those situations are cleared up between you and God. And the specific instruction of God that is said to us, this do. And we know that this is God's will for our life. So there's an absence of peace. There's an, a restlessness that happens. There is a fear that God allows to come. Without that, you see, it's just like pain. Pain is our friend. It's not our enemy. When, when you have pain in your body, it's your friend saying, hey, look, there's something wrong. And for us to live without the capacity for pain, we would probably kill ourselves in a very short time. We would step on something, be cut, and be bleeding to death and not even know it. And there are some people like that. They have no pain. It's not a blessing. It's a curse because they don't know when they've burned themselves. They don't know when they've hurt themselves. They don't know when they're badly injured. They have no pain. And so you see, fear, the fear of the Lord is our friend because it tells us, hey, look, there's something that needs to be taken care of between you and the master. It's not our enemy. And so we need to walk in the fear of God in that respect. The failing of eyes and the sorrow of mind, remorsefulness, also a, a, a symptom of being out of the will of God or not where specifically God wants us to be. Thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. There is an uncertainty, an uncertainty about life and about the situation that you find yourself in. And thou shalt fear day and night and not have assurance of life no assurance a lack of that restful peaceful blessed assurance Jesus is mine this is my story this is my song praising my Savior all the day long and you can't have that total assurance unless you really know this is what God wants that I'm in God's will I'm doing God's bidding. That tremendous assurance that comes within our spirit to know that of a surety. Verse 67, in the morning you say, oh my, I wish it were night. In the nighttime you say, oh my, I wish it were morning. What is that? I think it's in the, no it isn't, I wrote it in my side margin. Discontent. You know any discontented Christians? 
Doesn't matter what time of the day it is or night it is, they just can't find rest. There's, there's no contentment. Find a person in the will of God. Find a person who knows the mind of God. You'll find a contented person. Anyone that's not in the will of God, not right with God, you'll find discontent, unrest, lack of peace. Symptoms that indicate the fact that something isn't just quite right between us and God. That there is the will, will of God, the specific obedience to God, somewhere that's gotten lost in the stuff. And it seems to, to be a growing and progressive situation. As verse 68 says, the Lord shall bring thee to Egypt. What does that mean? What was Egypt noted for? Bondage. Spiritual bondage. Bond women and bond men under the bondage of the enemy. Being out of the will of God will produce a binding, a bondage. There are Christians today that go through their whole life bound under the bondage of the enemy. Jesus comes and the Spirit is present that we might have life whom the Son sets free should indeed be free. He says, be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we can allow ourselves to be entangled again with that yoke of bondage. I don't want that kind of a life. I don't think it produces the happiness that we deserve, the happiness that God wants us to have. The abundant life is the will of God. I believe that. The abundant life is the will of God for us. I don't think the Lord wants us filled with unrest or lack of peace, filled with fear, filled with discontent, filled with unrest. But God wants the most healthy, the most happy, the most peaceful, the most radiant, the most joyful person to represent him before this world and represent his kingdom with the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who said that? Thank you, George. I believe that's what the Lord wants us to be. Don't you? Sure. I think he's made every provision for us possible. I just want to stress the fact that for, in order for that to happen, we've got to be where God wants us to be. And we can take that in a spiritual sense. You know, as far as our relationship with him is concerned, all of these things can manifest themselves as symptoms if we're not just spiritually in, in right location with God. And changing our physical location will not change that spiritual problem. We can go to Africa, but it won't change it. It doesn't matter where we are location-wise, that relationship can only be repaired at Calvary. Hallelujah. But isn't it good that God does give us a second chance? Hallelujah. The grace of God is manifest to us that when we come to him in honesty and simplicity and in repentance and confession, there is restoration with the Lord. And he can take the years that have been destroyed by the, 
by the caterpillar and the palmer worm and, and all of the locusts and the things that have stripped it bare and make it fruitful and multiply it and bring glory to his name through it. Hallelujah. The Lord is gracious and plenteous in mercy. And if we'll simply and completely trust in him, he will produce all of the things out of life that we want. Young people, be sure it's God's will. Be sure it's God's will. That's, you owe it to yourself. Amen. You owe it to yourself. and you read what it's like to be out of the will of God, you'll know that it's worth it to know and to wait for the counsel of the Lord and know it's his will. Because if it's his will, it's right. And there'll be joy and there'll be peace and fulfillment in the spot that God has for you. Hallelujah. And the Lord is, is the master behind the scenes. He's working things out. Some divine guidance is simply sovereignly worked. It has nothing to do with man's condition. There are some areas of his divine leading that he just works out on his own. Then there are other specific areas where, where our attitudes and our relationship has to be right in order for it to, to mesh together. The Lord is on the throne and he's working some areas out sovereignly. Just because he's God, he's at work. This was brought to my attention very vividly just several months ago when a young lady by the name of Sharon was all discouraged one day working. And, and uh, she is a friend of Rich and Joan Hinkleman's. And she called Joan on the phone. And Joan said, well, why don't you come over to our house? And they talked and prayed together and had supper. And she invited her to come to church. She came on a Thursday night. And it happened to be a Thursday when we had some fellowship time downstairs. Just so happened that while we were downstairs, we got a, a chance to talk with her a little bit and discovered she was from New Stanton. And uh, being on a, a committee of ministers uh, for the section, I said, well, do you know we're starting a brand new home missions work in New Stanton? And she said, no, I didn't. I said, in fact, they're meeting there tomorrow to look at some property. And she said, oh, I, I really am interested in that because my uncle is the mayor. Amazing. So I said to her, well, why don't you meet those gentlemen tomorrow and we'll get in contact with, with the presbyter and, and I'm sure they would be interested in, in having you share this time. And she met them there the next day. And uh, the committee had looked at a certain parcel of ground, and they liked it because of its location. It was just right smack against the turnpike like our property is. And they were, they were excited about it, but they thought prices were too high. But they claimed it for the Lord anyway. They walked around it and claimed it for the Lord. And they went back to the motel where they were meeting, and Sharon pulled in. And she said, well, I know of some, some ground that isn't for sale. Uh, it doesn't have a for sale sign on it, but it's for sale. And uh, she said, get in my car and I'll show you where it is. She drove them right down to that piece of ground that they had just claimed for the Lord. She said, I know the owners. And they got 13 acres of ground for $45,000. And as they talked to the owners, uh, explaining what they wanted to do, 
Neither one of them professed to be born-again Christians, but one of them said, I don't know about my partner, but I'll give the first 5,000 to order if he'll give the second 5,000. And so they, they sealed the deal with a dollar contribution, and Sharon gave them the dollar to, to seal that bargain of the, the new, new Stanton property for the Lord. I believe that there's someone up there who directs the traffic. And though these circumstances were, were really not planned out, had it been any other time and under any other circumstances, she would not have known about this or been involved. They couldn't have contacted the people without her help. But the Lord is on the throne and he is interested in performing his work and using us. And there are many times I believe that he's using us and we don't even know it. We're not even aware of the fact that God is sovereignly working his will through our life. In a word that we have to say or a conversation that we have with someone that uh, is a vital link in the fulfilling of God's eternal purpose somewhere down the line. I, I believe in that. There, there are just sovereign workings of the Lord that he does because he's God. And there are other times that the leading and the working of God is very specific and it requires cooperation from us and we know ahead of time what the will of God is. When we know what God wants, it's up to us to obey. When the Lord has spoken to us and said to us, do this, then it's up to us to obey. Obedience in Scripture is held with high premium. I believe the Lord looks upon this with great importance. More than singing songs, more than worshiping Him, more than clapping our hands, more than paying our tithes, more than attending church, more than witnessing, God wants obedience more than he wants our sacrifice. And so we need to recognize that God places the highest of premium upon obedience and doing specifically his will. Now, sometimes, and I, I need to say this again, I've said it before, but in keeping my ears to the ground and talking to people, I need to say it again. People go back to Joshua and the fact that, that uh, Gideon laid a fleece out before the Lord and uh, using that type of thing for divine guidance. But you realize with me that that was not a means of divine guidance. Gideon already had heard from the Lord. He already knew what God wanted him to do. It wasn't a matter of discovering what God wanted. God had already talked to him, and he knew at the risk of making God angry, he was asking for this. Have you read that? He said, now God, I don't want you to be angry with me, but I want you to confirm your will to my life. So he put the fleece of wool on the ground and said, Lord, I want the ground to be wet and the fleece to be dry. It takes a miracle for that to happen. Amen? Any fleece that's laid out in that manner before the Lord needs to have those ingredients present. 
If it isn't totally something that only God can do, it's not a fleece. If it, is, if it doesn't take a miracle, I mean a miracle, then it's not really legitimate. And then it's not really for your divine guidance. It's simply to accommodate you in confirming what you already know God wants you to do. And the second time he said, now Lord, and again he said, I don't want you to be angry with me, but I'm weak. Accommodate my weakness. I just need to be that, that reassured in my spirit. Now make, now make the ground dry and the fleece wet. Another miracle. Like the young man who wanted to know if he should marry Susie. And he was in Bible school and he said, Now, Lord, if, if you really want me to marry Susie, I want you to send me $10 in the mail on Monday. He went to the mail, went to the mailbox. Sure enough, there was a letter, $10 in there. And he was thanking the Lord for that confirmation. But you see, Granny always sent him $10 the first of the week. And sometimes we just want to create a circumstance in order to have God's rubber stamp on what we already want to do. Don't, don't do that. Whenever we feel we want to follow the example of Gideon, let it be only as a confirmation of what you already feel God wants you to do. Because sometimes we just place things out and Satan conveniently will trap us into thinking something's legitimate that has only bore witness to what's in our heart and we want to do anyway. Not necessarily the fact that what we want to do is contrary to God. I don't believe that's, that's usually the case. Because God is at work in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And most of the time, it will seem good to the Holy Ghost and you. And there won't be a conflict between what you want and what God wants. And if there is, he'll let you know. He'll let you know, because he's more interested in our lives than we are. After all, didn't he send his son to redeem us? He loves us before we were born. He has seen us to the present condition and present state. He's got a tremendous investment in us. We're important in the sight of God. He has a purpose and a will for each one of us. He wants us to fill that place, be in that spot doing his specific bidding and will. And that's not a difficult thing. Don't make more of it than what's there. Be sure that you've surrendered and submitted your life and your heart to him. And in the spirit of meekness, pray like David prayed. Lord, show me your way. Teach me your path. And he will show us. He will teach us. 
And we need to recognize that it, it's just better for us to surrender totally and completely to him and allow him to give us his best and to direct our lives accordingly. I don't know how, but I do know that God sometimes answers our prayers and does things for us that he really doesn't want to do. But simply because we want them so much, God will give them to us, allowing us to have our own way if we so insist on having our own way. This happened in Israel. They were going through a very difficult time, very hard to manage. They had rejected the office of the priesthood, the prophets. They had seen nations around them having a king, and they wanted a king. And finally, Samuel filled his horn with oil and, under God's direction, anointed Saul to be king. He gave them the desires of their heart. I don't understand that, but I do know that God sometimes does things for us that he doesn't really want to do. That's really not best for us, but because we want them and insist upon them, he will allow them to come to pass, sometimes to our own regret and wish we had never prayed. The only thing I know about this is we've got to be careful how we pray. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful of the motivation for our asking because God answers prayer. Be sure that we've waited for the counsel of the Lord and that we're praying according to the mind of God and according to the will of God. There's so much on my heart. I just trust the Holy Spirit to communicate tonight. Sometimes we can just be taken in by circumstances. Joshua was taken in. People with such a convincing story came to him and said, you know, we've been coming from a long distance. Look at our shoes. They're all worn out. Our bread's all moldy. When we left home, we just took it fresh from the oven. And he bought a story that seemed to be true. And on the outside appearance, it was true. But verse 14 of chapter 9 of Joshua reads this way. And the men took their victuals and, and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And you know and I know the problem came in the next verse. For Joshua made peace with his enemy, made a league with them, and let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And you know, it was only three days later that they found out they were neighbors, that they had bought a story that on the outside appeared to be genuine, but later on discovered that they'd made a serious mistake. Three days later, they discovered they'd made a serious mistake. Verse 16, and after three days that they had made a league with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelled among them. So let me close just by saying, let's not make the same mistake that Joshua made because they lived to regret this action. And sometimes it doesn't take even three days to discover we've made a mistake.
Don't take favorable circumstances. Don't take obvious things that seem to add up. But let's just take them to the Lord in prayer and say, God, how about this? What do you want me to do? Wait for the counsel of the Lord. Wait till he says to us, do this. Do this. God cares enough about us to direct us. God cares enough about us to lead us and to show us his will and his way. Father, again, we thank you for bringing us together. I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've placed in our heart. Jesus, perhaps nothing more important to us after we've once been saved than that we live in the full knowledge of your will and abide in the knowledge of your will. I pray your blessing upon these thoughts tonight. Lord, that we would not live our lives with a lack of peace, a lack of assurance, filled with fear, finding ourselves in spiritual bondage because of disobedience to the will of God. Father, I pray that we would on the contrary, live lives filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Lives filled with joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment. There are those, Lord, who are here that are searching and praying as David prayed. Lord, show me thy way. Teach me thy path. Lead me in the ways everlasting. God, I pray that you would give them a heart that's sensitive to your voice and that you would answer their prayer for divine direction and guidance. Lord, they're waiting for the counsel of, of God, not presuming to know, not going by favorable or unfavorable circumstances, but waiting for that word from behind them saying, this is the way, walking in it. And God, as we come to this table tonight, we are mindful of the fact that you fulfilled God's specific will for your life. And somehow, Lord, even in this communion, you're saying to us, this do ye also in remembrance of me. We remember the fact, Lord, that you gave your life. You gave your all in the will of God 